Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Every week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. Thankfully, we always have the help of a new guest co-host who's an expert in their field, and together we interview a guest about their work in design. Because design is everywhere, and so are we. This week, we're chatting about happiness at work. I'll be joined by Ginger Dhaliwal, co-founder at Upflex, a co-working space that provides instant workspace access anywhere and anytime, allowing you and your team to work better, happier, and more conveniently. And later on, we'll chat with Dr. Tracy Brower, the author of The Secrets to Happiness at Work. Together, we'll all talk about the role of design in creating more work-life balance and fulfillment. But first, some news from the Design Museum. Join us next Tuesday, February 15th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. Eastern for our virtual annual meeting. This is a free community event. It's an opportunity to look back at the past year, 2021, all the cool things that Design Museum did and that you were part of, and then look ahead to our 2022 initiatives, including our week-long Design Museum Week, our biggest thought leadership event of the year. We'll have new exhibitions. We have a really cool book project we're working on about design, identity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You'll have a chance to meet the staff, the board, and the council in different breakout rooms, so you can explore different ways to get involved with our mission. It's gonna be a lot of fun, lots of ways to connect, and you'll have a chance to share your thoughts on what the museum can provide and how it can be valuable to you. So we'd love to have you there. We'll also award this year's Distinguished Service Medal to individuals who have made a significant impact on the design museum in the past year. So check it out. It's the virtual annual meeting. It's Tuesday, February 15th, 12 p.m. Eastern. You can register on designmuseumeverywhere.org. Okay, on to this week's topic, happiness at work. According to statistics by careervision.org, across America, only 45% of workers say they are either satisfied or extremely satisfied with their jobs. With only half the population or less satisfied with the work, how can work be better and happier and make us happier? I'm joined by my guest co-host this week, Ginger Dollywall. Ginger is a seasoned entrepreneur with 15 plus years of experience working with startups in Asia and North America. She has led the product development process from ideation to launch for several disruptive patented technologies in the healthcare, e-commerce, and fashion industries. Ginger was a founding member of Embedded Wireless, an R&D facility, and was instrumental in growing the company from one to 100 engineers with international offices in Malaysia, India, and the U.S. As co-founder and CPO of Upflex, Ginger and her team strive to help businesses become more efficient, agile, sustainable, while giving employees access to a global network of workspaces. Ginger is also part of the Design Museum Council. I love having council members on. Ginger, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Sam. It's wonderful to be here. And, you know, it's the start of 2022 and happiness should be all around us this year, hopefully. (laughs) I am like all about it. I've got my daily journal that I'm like writing about what I'm grateful for and trying to like find that joy in the everyday. So I'm like, I'm here for it in 2022. To start, I'd love to learn more about Upflex. I wonder, you know, it's such a unique model people are starting to like look for various places to work other than home. So can you tell us a little bit about Upflex and sort of the origin story? 
Sure. Happy to. You know, it's so funny because I think uh, everyone gets to a certain point in their lives and they start reflecting on why do I do these crazy things or how do I get more balance in my life? And four years ago, my partner, Christophe Garnier, and I started having those very philosophical conversations about life. And we started thinking about, you know, what are some of the things that give us joy And what are some of the things that prevent us from having joy? And one of the things that we discovered as we were thinking about this is, you know, this idea that you had to commute to an office. And there's so many people that used to commute like an hour and a half, two hours out of their day, just being in traffic, trying to get into an office space that was mandated by their company. And that just didn't make any sense. I mean, if you add those hours, it was 15 days out of your life stuck in traffic. And so we started thinking about like, could there be a different model where we can give back time to people, but still create environments for people to be creative, collaborate. And what was amazing was that there's, you know, spaces everywhere through co-working. My partner, Christophe, had co-working spaces here in New York. He had two co-working spaces and we're like, you know, Wouldn't it be great to be able to provide access to these spaces to corporate employees so that they didn't have to commute an hour and a half? They could be closer to their families. They could work more flexibly. And as we started looking at the data, we realized that not only is this more sustainable for the individual, but it's also more sustainable for our environment. And so that's kind of our origin story is, you know, it's about creating flexibility and happiness for people by providing access to spaces that are closer to your home, where you can interact with people from different industries and continue to create and build innovative products. And uh, when we first started pitching this idea to companies, we got a lot of resistance. They're like, oh, you know, that's like vitamin water. It's a nice to have. We believe in flexibility, but we really want our people to work from home if that, you know, their definition of flexibility. So, you know, when COVID came about, so many companies then realized that people can work anywhere. And um, so now we're working with a lot of companies kind of redefine what work looks like and where you work. And and we're working with um, fairly large companies kind of redefine that paradigm and hybrid work solution. And the entire company's basis of why we exist is how do we make spaces provide spaces that people can be happy in and collaborate in. And so this topic is really exciting to talk about today. Yeah. I wonder, you know, you start this innovative company and then COVID does like, there is a somewhat of a silver lining, right? Because we all had to really upskill quickly into remote work, which for many, you know, meant working from home. But home is not (laughs) always the best place to work. Have you seen that sort of like, I feel like early in the pandemic, people are like, great, I'm at home. This is wonderful. And then speaking for myself, I'm like, I'm still home. And I'm going into going to be going into my third year working from my bedroom where I spend, what, 18 to 19 hours per day, either sleeping or working. So how is that sort of the, the silver lining and then also sort of that redefinition you mentioned change based on now people have worked remotely for two years? 
Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, I had worked remotely for many, many years for about seven years prior prior to setting um, starting Up Flex, and one of the things that um, I learned through that experience is there's a level of, uh, and we're starting to see this right, um, well being, people having a hard time cutting off work, they're having a hard time creating boundaries between work and life, and the reality is uh, when you are only working from home. Home, and that's the only choice that you have. There's all these other issues in terms of your career path, you know, ability to grow, because we do grow through the interactions of other people. And absolutely, we can have interactions on Zoom, but it's one thing to be in a space together and brainstorm and come up with ideas and have those uh, sort of uh, interactions. And that was one of the things that I discovered working remotely prior to COVID. And so when when COVID hit, I was thankful that companies were thinking about, oh, now, you know, employees can work from anywhere. They can work from home. But I'm an advocate of the fact that we need to also get people uh, outside of their home. It doesn't mean that they have to go back into the office, but being able to have a third space that's closer to where they live or they travel for work or, you know, a third space for them to go and feel connected with other human beings is such a huge, it's going to have a huge impact in people's well-being. And um, and that's kind of the scenario that we're working with now because companies are like, yeah, you know, we have all the flexibility in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're working from home. It's, they're very flexible. Yeah. But I think companies of today really need to think about that. You know, how do we create those boundaries? How do we create those collaboration moments and those moments where people can interact um, in, a, in a way that allows them to continue to be creative and stimulated and provide those spaces for them to do that? I know one other things you really focus on is kind of like creating a sense of belonging. And, and I'm curious what that looks like in this new era where like maybe in the past, you know, I'm not going to use the like water cooler, like <laughs> metaphor. I can't remember the last time I was actually at a water cooler, but you know, you'd run into people at work and just have this like community vibe that seems possible now. But I wonder how do you seeing, you know, folks do that? Are you doing that at Upflex? What's this look like? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because, um, you know, Uflex is a, uh, we, we did have um, a co-working space prior to COVID that we would go to on a regular basis, right? And so we're, we're now a completely fully remote company. And we've hired employees in all like India, Berlin, Lisbon, and we're still a startup in many ways, right? We've, we're at, um, I think, 50 people. So we've added about 20 people in the last three months. So we've doubled our size and creating that culture right? Um, creating that sense of belonging, even um, being a startup, we're like, okay, well, we're in this industry where we're trying to provide flexibility for company. But we as a company have to start thinking about how do we create a sense of belonging? Because we can't touch each other. We're in different countries. And, um, you know, we, we, um, we can't physically meet like we used to, right? Um, so in in the US, what we do is once a month, we get we gather our entire team and they make a trip to to New York and we we come together and we gather. And it's funny because we'll still continue working uh, on 
through Zoom with our other colleagues. But at the end of the day, we go out and have dinner together or we have lunch together. And what's interesting, um, I live in New York City, is uh, during the weekdays, I see large groups of people having lunch together. And you know they're teammates, right? And they, they're, they're deciding to take one day out of the week to just gather and have lunch together or dinner time, you'll see, you know, tables of 20 people and there'll be all sorts of demographics at this table. And again, you're, you realize that, you know, the way that company people are gathering is different than the water cooler. They're gathering in more meaningful ways, you know, uh, where they're gathering outside of work, and but still having that relationship and building those bonds. And then when you're when you have teammates that are overseas and you're trying to connect with them, you know, um, we do a lot of things internally through virtual events. We celebrate birthdays. You know, Slack is our best friend. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're always posting. Um, and especially when you're hiring new people and we've doubled our size, you know, we have a, a buddy system almost where we have a buddy system that connects with that individual throughout the first couple of weeks um, to ensure that, you know, you there there there's someone checking in on them, making sure that they're feeling okay. And really, we do talk about our feelings within our organizations because we know, especially being remote, it's really hard to understand how people are feeling about their work. Um, are they feeling valued? Um, and these are the things that create happiness in people, you know? Um, and so, we we do invest a lot of time in in sort of in a virtual way, but also in a physical way because I I don't think I think physically we need to if you can enable it being able to come together in a face to face way, but it not at the frequency as we did before, but it's as meaningful even if it's once once a month. Yeah, I I've talked to a few companies where they even. I mean, they get the entire global team together once a year, and that has real meaning, right? They might spend four days together, and that completely then changes how they work together virtually because they've had that in-person kind of, you know, relationship building, connection, the stories, that that just makes then the virtual work happen so much easier and so much more naturally. Like, we are physical beings. <laughs> we need to be together. That's right. Uh, you know, a lot of companies are, there's, a, we do this as well. We have a weekly stand up every Friday, uh, uh, every Monday, where we all gather from all the different continents and we've organized the timing to be early so we can take into consideration all the time zones. And we, we have a company announcements, you know, and then every other week we have team luncheons uh, where we eat lunch together as a team. Um, again, trying to accommodate all the different time zones. And so we, we're doing those types of things as well to create that sense of belonging and, and keeping a pulse on each other and, and really sharing experiences across teams, which is really, really important virtually. Yeah, you got to be even more deliberate in doing those things since you don't have the scaffolding of the physical world. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I love this conversation and it's so great to learn more about Upflex. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. Listeners, to see more of Ginger's work, visit upflex.com and Ginger, stick around and we'll bring Tracy Brower into the conversation after a quick break. 
If you like this podcast, then you will love Design Museum Everywhere. It's a museum that comes to you wherever you are. That's right. Design Museum Everywhere is all about making design education and inspiration accessible to everyone. Become a member today and join a global community of design thought leaders and change makers. Everyone can be a designer. We can all appreciate and advocate for the transformational impact that design can have. Membership starts at just $3 a month and you get access to virtual Design Museum live events, discounts, and our Design Museum magazine sent right to your doorstep. Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org to join today, and your name will be listed in our next issue of Design Museum magazine, which will be sent to Design Museum members all over the world. That's designmuseumeverywhere.org to be part of this global community. We're back and we're joined by our special guest, Dr. Tracy Brower. Tracy was one of our first guests ever on the podcast and now she is back. She is a PhD sociologist studying work-life fulfillment and happiness. So she came to the right episode. She's the author of The Secret to Happiness at Work and Bring Work to Life, where she empowers people to create and choose the conditions for happiness, well-being, fulfillment, and success. Tracy is also a principal with Steelcase's Applied Research and Consulting Group and a contributor to Forbes.com and Fast Company. She's also on our council. We have two council members here on the episode. Love that. Tracy's work has been translated into 13 languages and imagines a world of joy in work and life. Tracy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I couldn't stay away. I'm so glad to be here with you both. I love this conversation we're having. You know, I love this topic. Um, I'd love to start if you could share with our listeners a bit about your background in sociology and studying this topic. I mean, you've written two books around this topic. What got you into this work? What made you interested in it? You know, I have always been just really, really interested in people and their work, how we affect our work, how it affects us back. And I really wanted to go back to school. And uh, our son at the time was in kindergarten and our daughter was in second grade. And uh, it was just in the middle of kind of living the dream, right? Like being a mom, working full time, commuting to school, et cetera, et cetera, right? All those things that go along with it. And I just felt like that idea of balance or like having to choose or like zero sum, either work or life just wasn't serving in terms of the paradigm or the way that we conceptualized work in life. So I just thought it'd be pretty cool to study what does it really take to be happy at work and what are those sources of joy and how is work part of a full life instead of the thing that we just always want to avoid. So that's what got me interested in it. What surprised you about how people connect with work and find happiness at work? You know, one of the things that I think is just really, really interesting is getting really specific about some of the myths in our culture, right? Like the myth that work is drudgery and work is negative um, instead of work being a place where we express our talents and contribute to our community, et cetera. Or the myth that we always have to be happy all the time, no matter what. And in reality, happiness ebbs and flows or the myth of what I call happiness inflation, or in scientific terms, hedonistic adaptation, right? Where you just feel like it's got you, you need more, 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 more happiness. That's a myth too, right? Like you can kind of reach a level of 
joyful satisfaction, contentment. And again, that will ebb and flow, but I think those are interesting myths. Yeah, absolutely. I am, you know, like many of us, I'm sure Ginger, I'm, I'm always seeking this ideal of work-life balance. I couldn't find it when I had sort of a nine to five that, you know, you know, I love my job, but wasn't fully making me happy. And then I couldn't find the work-life balance when I basically like created my own ideal job. And I'm just like, is it even possible? Is it a myth? How have you seen people create that balance again that I assume when they find that balance, there's happiness (laughs) in it? How have you seen it happen? Yeah. You know, I feel like the concept of balance can be relatively limiting, you know, because it's really about integrating and defining and redefining and navigating and finding that right mix. And that right mix may be different at different stages of your life. And I think too, that we need to be super empowered to create our own happiness. Like it's not like a silver platter process where when all the conditions are right, we shall be happy. Like we really can create those conditions. And we can talk about that. I think the other thing is that there's this idea that if we choose correctly, right, if we make exactly the right choice, then we'll be happy. If we choose the right job or choose the right partner or the right place to live, right? But in truth, any choice we make is a set of conditions. There'll be things we love about it, things uh, not so much, right? And so it's really more about alignment, like as much as possible, aligning what we love to do with what we have to do. And there's no ideal condition. There's no ideal job, but you're going to align as much as possible, figure out what you like to do, try to do as much of that as possible. And you can even do things outside of work. This is interesting. If you are more satisfied outside of work, you'll perceive more satisfaction inside of work as well. So crazy. Let's get into those conditions or like key factors. So what are the factors, you know, as you again, writing this book, The Secrets to Happiness at Work. What are those factors that influence happiness in your job? There are five and we can unpack them as much as you want, but it's a sense of purpose, you know, kind of feeling connected to a bigger picture. You don't have to solve the world's problems, but the connectedness to a bigger picture. A second is feeling a level of connection with other people. We don't all have to be extroverts, but kind of that connectedness. A really big one that a lot of people don't think about is learning and stretch kind of that idea of like sweating and trying and, you know, really, really stretching. A fourth is gratitude, significantly correlated with happiness. And a fifth is generosity, also significantly correlated with happiness. The happiness paradox is if you chase happiness for its own sake, you'll be less likely to accomplish it because it reminds you of what you don't have. It reminds you of kind of yourself more than others or your community. And so pursuing those conditions is much more likely to get you there than just pursuing happiness as its own end. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Talk to me about generosity. What does that mean in the, in the scope of, you know, someone's career or their day to day? Yeah. I love this concept. So there's some really beautiful research that when you focus outside of yourself on others and focus on making a contribution, it, brings you significant happiness, satisfaction, contentment, et cetera. Um, And so that can look like all kinds of things. That can look like giving money. It can look like giving time. It can look like kind of day-to-day offering help to a colleague. It can look like making a donation to a, you know, food pantry. 
in general, when we donate ourselves, our time, our effort, um, we tend to experience more satisfaction and happiness than if we just write a check. Um, so there's a, a time element associated with that. But the, the reason that generosity matters is because it focuses us outside of ourselves. It sometimes like a condition of depression or anxiety can be that your, your world gets really small, you get more myopically focused, or you feel trapped. And when we focus outside of ourselves, and when we think about community, and when we think about our contribution to the community and mattering, those are associated with happiness. That's amazing. And how, you know, Tracy, how do companies create those moments within the organization to create that? You know, what are the ingredients that go into creating those moments within an organization to create happiness for people? Yeah, I love this question because I think happiness is so much about me, right? Like my individual experience, but we have to make that a team experience, an organizational experience. So how do we scale that experience? It's just a brilliant way to think about it. Companies can do that by creating cultures where people feel a level of connectedness and interdependency, where people have places where they can connect, you know, work cafes or leadership spaces where you can run into leaders or um, places that help to facilitate our collaboration together. Um, organizations can do it by organizing work that crosses boundaries. So like if I'm able to reach out and contribute in another area or get to know other colleagues or invite other colleagues into a project that I'm doing. Those are a really good idea. Organizations that uh, can think about creating, you know, affinity groups or interest groups or support kinds of groups where we develop relationships with each other. Those are the things that will help us to learn more about each other and also help us to think more about each other's experience and how we can be generous and contribute toward it. The other, the one other thing I would say, which I think is so interesting, is the idea of a shared sense of social identity. When we have a sense of belonging, it's not just because we're with people, it's because we have a mutual sense of social identity, of why we're here and what we're doing together. So that can be big picture, you know, what's your vision and mission as an organization, but it can also be informal, like, hey, let's talk as a team about why our work matters and let's remind ourselves about, you know, the cool stuff we get to do on a day-to-day -day basis together. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, when I was reading your book and bringing work to life is this concept of li uh, work life supports within an organization. And, you know, especially now where we, we are all working from home, right? Um, so what work life supports can we bring uh, in this environment where we are kind of separated and isolated uh, that can help create moments of happiness or to overcome some of the challenges that we have right now? Yeah, it's sort of a, the question of the moment, isn't it? We hear so much about people who feel like they've had a, a decreased sense of connectedness and feel a, a lower level of overall well-being for lots and lots of different reasons. And so when we are distanced, um, I think one thing that companies can do is just really be intentional about making sure that um, leaders are staying in touch with 
their team members, right? Like reaching out, not checking up, but checking in. So being super intentional about leader leaders connecting. I think being super intentional about how teams operate. Like when we're all together in the same space, we can kind of just run into each other and it can be organic. But when we're separated by distance, we might want to have that stand up every Monday morning. We might want to really schedule that action after action review. We might want to really take time to think as a team about the contributions of each person in a, I don't know, like a five minute warm up once a month. So just being really intentional about those connection points, I think is, is a big deal. And I think too, making sure that we are holding people accountable. Like sometimes I think when times are really difficult, we tend to say, oh, we want to give people space and they've got to figure it out and they're under so much pressure, but we all want to know that we matter. We all have an instinct to matter. So it's a really good thing when we're held accountable. Hey, Tracy, how's that project going? Or, hey, we need that from you by such and such a date. That accountability can be a really positive part of a culture. As people resign and companies are trying to um, rethink how they you know, the value of employees, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in terms of organizational structure? I know companies today are struggling to find talent, right? And what does that mean from an individual perspective, as well as from an organizational perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to find talent today. You know, what's really crazy is the number of people who say they're leaving their jobs, the number of companies who say they're going to increase employment, the number of people who are migrating to Zoom towns or mid-markets from more expensive markets, all of those things are going on. And then there's this really interesting data about the number of candidates who are ghosted. So there's this, it's like the great mismatch at the moment. One of my theories is that it's harder to find talent because there's so much more talent. It's like, Finding the best candidate is always a needle in a haystack, but the haystack got bigger, right? We're all we're all in the haystack somehow. But I think that um, one of the things that organizations can do to really think about attracting talent and and that employee value equation is to really think about beyond salary. What are the growth opportunities? What are the opportunities where they can, you know, help people to feel like they're joining a great team? What are the ways that they can um, really enhance and then communicate about their culture? Um, I think a lot of times the like the best role for any of us is super relevant related to the match to the organizational culture. Um, you know, like like my best organizational culture may be different than yours or yours or yours, and so when we can be really articulate with people about the expectations, about the culture, about how they will fit and how they will help us grow, that can be really attractive for people, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's such a fascinating topic because it's the first time I think um, ever companies have put happiness at the center of their decision-making and it, and it, it's, it's, it's shocking that it's taken this long, right? And um, I was recently at Cornet, and I realized that you you're also part of the Cornet Association, and it was the first time where you know you had facilities people and real estate people and HR people all talking about happiness and putting the employee at the center of their decision making, and um, and 
you know, um, as companies become more creative and innovation drives everything, do you think companies alone can make people happy? Or is there an exchange of sorts that needs to happen in order to support, you know, different perspectives, right? It, um, so I'd love to get your insight on that, because you can, as an organization, you can do everything that you think will create happiness, but then there's still that uh, disconnect that could happen within the employee itself. Yeah, I love that question. I feel like there's such a trend toward well-being, which is coming from a deterioration of mental health, right? Like every single week, there's a new study on challenges with mental health. So that has really caused this sort of awakening on, on the parts of companies and this new level of responsibility, seemingly, in terms of companies feeling um, feeling like they need to contribute to well-being, treating the employee with kind of a holistic approach, really ensuring that leaders have new sets of skills where they can engage employees and um, keep employees motivated. And we all have a responsibility for ourselves. Like I think that we do ourselves and leaders a disservice and do our organizations a disservice by saying, you know, it's up to the organization to do all the right things for employees. That is true. And society has an or as a responsibility as well, right, to create those conditions. But we also have individual responsibility. So I think it's this important mix. It's this important balance. And, and I think about it as kind of agency and structure. Agency, I'm empowered to create the conditions for my happiness. Structure, the organization has some responsibility as well. Um, and I like to say that leaders or organizations aren't responsible for other people's happiness, for their employees' happiness, but they are responsible to do their best to create the conditions through which people can, can find that happiness. And I feel like I feel like the, the topic of choice is really important. Like um, if we look statistically, Happiness comes from three places. There is a gene for happiness, surprisingly. There's also a gene for gratitude, which is super interesting, right? So gene for happiness. Um, also, your upbringing matters, right? This is the classic nature-nurture thing, not just your upbringing, but all of your experiences that you have, even as an adult. And the third element is choice. And so we might say to ourselves, oh, I don't know if I got the gene and I don't know if my experience has been perfect toward happiness, but we can all choose. So no matter what's going on around us, we can choose how we think about things. We can choose to be generous. We can choose to be connected. We can choose opportunities for stretch and learning. Um, and so we have that agency and we should feel empowered and organizations can create opportunities for stretch. They can create opportunities for connection. They can be really clear about how people matter toward the purpose of the organization, et cetera. So I think it's a both and. I wanted to wrap up our conversation here with a question for both of you. We've been talking about sort of answers and experiments organization-wide. How about you as an individual you know, for folks listening, what are something you you do to find happiness at work? One of the things that I've been doing is compressing my week, <laughs> surprisingly, um, because I realize that, you know, um, I don't have that in-between time anymore, right? You're not traveling, you're not going anywhere. You're pretty much in, uh, from bed to your office desk within 
two minutes. And so I'm, I'm trying to get most of my work done on a, a Monday to Thursday and then using Fridays as an opportunity to catch up with people, um, speak to people that I haven't spoken to in a while, um, and really go out for a walk <laughs> and, um, be connected with nature, uh, whenever I can. Uh, so, um, that's something that I've been doing and I, you know, as a team, we are also making sure that we don't send emails or Slack messages after a certain time, because we just need to have those boundaries. Otherwise it just gets overwhelming. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's really cool. I heard somebody say recently that um, if you think about what's important to you, you should reflect on the stories that you tell. Like as you're talking about your career trajectory, what are the stories you tend to repeat over and over? And what is the crux of those? That will give you a clue as to what's interesting for you or rewarding for you. So like I was talking to a CEO recently and he said, he realized all of his stories had to do with learning something new or changing his perspective. So he realized that was a really important thing for him. So I was reflecting on my own stories. And as I talk about my career trajectory in more detail, my stories usually have to do with starting something new. And so I've been thinking about novelty and how novelty and starting things is part of my source of happiness. Like that new challenge is something that really I think is pretty cool. So as I think about happiness in my work, I look for that next new thing. I look for that next new project. I look for that place where I can raise my hand um, and, you know, offer support to a new team. I think that's one of the ways that I find happiness at work. Um, and I love to read. I'm a huge reader. So I, so I read lots and lots of business books. And then I also read lots and lots of books that have nothing to do with business. <laughs> that's that's a point of happiness for me as well so i think it's a little bit of both i love it i love it it's a great conversation tracy thank you so much for being here again sharing your expertise we love chatting with you awesome thanks for having me i love talking with each of you yeah listeners to see more of tracy's work go to tracybrower.com or on all the usual social channels you can find tracy and we'll put some links in the show notes thank you Now it's that time. Every week we share our weekly dose of good design. These are our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll go first. I have been loving sharing weekly doses from my team. So this week's weekly dose comes from our director of development, Brian Mezzi. Brian shares the recently opened Jiaoziwan Pedestrian Bridge in Chengdu, China. It's also known as the Jiaozi ring because it's a giant ring. It references the shape of an ancient coin used locally in the Song Dynasty during 1000 AD. In the design, there's floating curves that are used to show the softness of paper. It's so cool. It's like geometric, but also very organic. The bridge was designed by SADI, the Sichuan Architecture Design Institute and it hovers over traffic while allowing pedestrians and cyclists a chance to take advantage of the space, to exercise, or to meet with friends. I'm sure you've never seen a pedestrian bridge like this. We'll post an image and a link to the Jiaozi ring in the show notes. Check it out. Thanks, Brian. Ginger, you're up next. 
Oh my goodness, that bridge sounds incredible. It's gorgeous. I want to go visit. I can't wait to travel again. You know, what I've been really enjoying is this idea of asynchronous working. And um, Slack has become such a vital part of our organization, keeping up to date and sharing, collaborating with my team. Um, but uh, as a leader in the team, you know, oftentimes, as we talked about, you have an idea and you want to Slack it. And the problem is, um, I just discovered this. Um, so Slack has the ability to uh, schedule your Slack messages so that you do not <laughs> Slack your team, um, you know, after working hours. So um, I'm very deliberate about being careful about that sort of stuff. And I, I'm just so thankful that Slack has added it to their um, channel. So now I can send email uh, Slack messages at like 10 o'clock at night because I have a young child and I want to be able to work late um, and they get their messages in the morning when they should. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also love this feature. I wonder, I don't know if my team's caught on to this yet, but I try to like make them sound natural to the moment, you know? So like I'm writing a Slack at like 11 p.m. and I'm like, good morning, Brian. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, it sends at like, you know, 8.30 a.m. <laughs> it's perfect. I love yeah. I love the ability to schedule Slack messages or email. I've been scheduling emails on Thursday nights so that I don't have to work on Fridays mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. Monday delivery. It's amazing. Oh, that is just a dream. <laughs> dream come true. I'm so glad you mentioned this one. Thank you. Listeners, if you have a great weekly dose of good design and you want me to share it on the air, can tweet it at me. Find me on Twitter at Sam Aquilano and share your weekly dose and I'll share it with everyone. Thank you again, Ginger. I love this conversation. I love the work that you're doing. It's fascinating and, and good luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me, Sam. It was such a delight to speak with um, Dr. Tracy Bauer, she's incredible. And if you have a chance to read her books, they're amazing. That's our show. Again, I want to thank Ginger Dhaliwal and Dr. Tracy Brower for joining us. And thank you all for being here and listening to this great conversation. We'll post links to the resources and books we discussed today on our episode page visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast in the menu. You can always find the latest from us on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. And we have an awesome weekly email newsletter. So you'll always see the latest podcast episode, upcoming virtual events, magazines that are coming up, all kinds of great stuff from the Design Museum right in your inbox. You can sign up for that right on our website. While you're there, be sure to jump in, rate, review, and subscribe to Design Is Everywhere, anywhere you listen to podcasts. When you do that, it helps more people learn about our show so we can keep chatting about the transformative power of design, which we love doing. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Amor Yates. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the whole team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for being here, and we'll talk again next week.